I started a new hobby during COVID, um, and I'll be honest, a number of things give me anxiety, but at the top, near the top of the list, top five at least, is going to Home Depot. Um, because I, some of you in this room, you know how to work with your hands. Um, I was never taught how to do that. And so I, I show up to Home Depot, and it's, it's like a place of shame for me. It's like someone's going to be judging me that I'm asking the most simple question possible. And I just literally pray in the parking lot of Home Depot, Lord, father me through this. And God does. He provides like the kindest woman or man in an orange apron. And like literally he's been like teaching me. And so over uh, COVID, um, because it's 115 and 120 in Phoenix, uh, there was a little cabin um, near where my wife used to go, and, and it was just run down, and I was like, we can't go on vacation, so let's, let's, let's just work on a cabin. And my wife's like, you don't know what you're doing. And I'm like, I know, but that's how I feel about life. <laughs> so we bought this cabin, and here's like a picture of it. Like, it's just the inside. They had like drop-down ceilings, a super A-frame, like old like wood paneling, looked like a 1983 Ford country squire station wagon with the woody paneling on the side. Very bright teal. Doesn't, my, my camera skills aren't that great. Um, and I, I just felt like, man, this is, this is crazy. My wife, she, she had a vision for this. She's like, demo everything. I was like, man, the spirit of Chip and Joe is on this woman. And, <laughs> and, and she's like, let's, let's just go. And I was like, I can demo. So I just took sledgehammers put some suspenders on. I was like, let's do this. And I just start knocking stuff down and in tearing up tile, ripping stuff out. Like I, I kid you not though, had this moment where it was as if the spirit of God, because you can't tell, but that drop down ceiling was blocking all of this natural light. And as I was like ripping and tearing all of this stuff out, I felt like God said, this is what I'm trying to do in your heart. It's to let more light in. And for the last like number of months, I've been watching YouTube, being fathered and mothered by Home Depot. And like, we just got to a moment. We're still got so much more work to go next slide. And like all of a sudden, just the difference. Yeah. Look at that. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's for sale. No, no, it's not. It's not. It's kidding. It's good. But like all of a sudden this moment of just like, oh, like it just, when you walk into a space and it's open, and there's just something in that. As I was tearing stuff up, I just felt like God was saying, this is what I want to do in you. There's an old book by Dallas Willard called Renovation of the Heart. And really, that's been my prayer this week, is that we would go to work on our heart. A passage for me that's been really, really important comes from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. You know this verse. We have this hope. A sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. We have this hope. A sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. And I, I put a massive picture of an anchor. But let's just think about this. I don't know if any of you like being on water. I used to live in the Midwest. We'd go out on boats. And, and I remember one day, like, a buddy of mine, he, he was, like, pulling out the anchor. We were just kind of wading out in the water. And he just threw the anchor out there but the anchor wasn't attached to the boat. And all of a sudden, the just chain, just like, and he's like, uh-oh. And I was like, yeah, uh-oh. What are you going to do, man? 
And it got me thinking, I'm like, how many anchors are literally just at the bottom of the Pacific or Lake Michigan or the Atlantic or the Indian Ocean? I mean, you think about that anchor connected to boats of 100,000, millions of dollars. And the anchor's worthless if we're not connected to it. And the crazy piece about it is if you think about this being an anchor, in every conversation that we go, in every place and environment that we embody in and, and take up space, every Zoom meeting we enter in as we get welcomed in through the waiting room, we're holding on to this anchor, this sure and steadfast hope for our soul. And this, this writer of Hebrews is saying, is Christ. This is who we have. And for many of us, we literally put this thing down on a Sunday morning, and we sing songs about it, but then in the midst of stress, or in the midst of being on Facebook, or the next door app, or in the midst of being in traffic, somehow we just drop this anchor, and we just do you. We just become who we want to be. And we almost forget the hope that we have, this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We forget what we have in Christ. We forget what Jesus wants to do in us, and we just do what we want to do. And then we spend the remaining moments and weeks and months having to pick up the pieces. And so I've been wrestling with this. I've been wrestling so much. Well, how... Do we become people in the midst of chaos and challenge and crisis, be people who embody the fruit of the Spirit? So here's what I'm going to do is every time I teach, I'm going to give you a practice. I'm an athlete. Um, I played college basketball. Play is probably not the right word. I sat the bench at Cal State Fullerton, but I got free shoes. But like, I, I loved, I loved practice. And again, if we don't drift towards being people of hope or people who embody the fruit of the Spirit, it's literally going to take and require us, not just, I want to be that kind of person, but making the choices and taking the necessary steps to become those kinds of people. Let's go to the next slide. What you'll see is in John 10, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you something that Dallas Willard taught me. And it's really this, this, this kind of phrase of vision and intention and means, vim. And this is really how we get to become people who walk through a process of spiritual formation. The truth is you cannot microwave spiritual formation. You don't just wake up one day and you're like, man, I'm Billy Graham. It just doesn't happen. It literally takes day after day after day. Billy Graham's wife, if you've ever seen her tombstone, says Ruth Bell Graham, says the date she was born, date she passed, underneath it she says construction completed, thanks for your patience. Genius. And what she's saying is like every day I was just taking step by step in what about Bob language, the baby steps to become who God believes I can be. And Jesus in John chapter 10 tells us that there are two visions Two visions. And he says this words, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Two visions. The first vision is, is that of the thief. Steal plus kill plus destroy. 
Just think about this. Think about the language here. Think about the movement of the language. If I want to steal something, it's you have it, I want to take it. If I want to kill something, I don't want there to be any sense of life. But if I want to destroy something in the original language, that meant I wanted no lasting legacy. And so every day, the vision is that there's this thief that's wanting to steal. I want to take your joy. I want to take your peace. I want to kill. I want to sabotage your story and your legacy. And for many of us, without even knowing it, we just drop this anchor and just allow him to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, no, 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 but there's another, another vision. And the other vision is simply this. I, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus isn't saying this like from a place of aspirational, like, oh, from empty. Like there is a vision out there. He's saying it from a place of overflowing. I've come. You would have life. And you would bear such rich fruit. And in the midst of crisis and challenge, that you would be free to exhale. And you would experience hope and peace and grace and love and transformation. You would have it to the full. See, it's amazing to me is that I'll sit with so many sincere Christ followers and I'll ask them, like, what, what's your vision? They're like, oh, for, for work? No, 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 like, what's, what's your vision for, like, this season of your life? Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really have one. Like, what, what, what's the thing that you're trying to work on? Oh, my finances. Ah, trying to get this promotion in my work. Ah, just trying to get this kind of time management skill down. It's amazing is that 2020, if you look through like what people thought and expected their New Year's resolutions to be, more travel, more gym membership exercise, more experiences, none of that prepared them for the craziness of 2020. But what if we actually could look at these nine words, next slide, these fruits of the Spirit, and just with a show of hands. What if we could actually say, you know what, maybe I need a vision, not to try and do all nine, but maybe just, if I'm really, really honest to say, hey, maybe in this week, maybe the Spirit of God is going to do some work to say, I think I just need to work a little bit on just one word. So just with a show of hands, if you just play for a minute. How many of you would say, I just, for me, I know what it is. It's, it's the word love. I just need a little bit more love in my life. Okay, three of you. Awesome. How many of you would say more joy? Show of hands. Fantastic. Yeah. How many of you would say more peace? Yeah. Well done. How many of you would say more patience? Yeah, I love it. Everyone's like, yeah, that's it. I can't even be patiently going up. It's just the fast. How many of you would say more goodness? Just need to be and see the good in another. More faithfulness. Yeah. Yeah. More gentleness. Yeah. Self-control. That's what I would do. So you just, just hold that word, okay? Now, next slide. What Dallas would say is that a vision, again, vision, intention, and means. We're going to go through this. A vision is one God-inspired way to become 
and be more like Jesus. And every one of us needs this. So for the last six months, my vision has simply been this. A life anchored in Jesus is one that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide. It'll come up on the screen next slide. A life anchored in Jesus is that one that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide. And when I see this, I feel as if, man, this is something that I can work to for this season. It's actually like now I have this decision to go, okay, am I literally going to live into this vision to kind of go through this process of being formed and shaped more into the image of Christ? For those of us who raised our hand and said, I need to grow in patience. I want you to begin thinking this week. Maybe a life anchored in Jesus is one that can embody patience in moments of crazy or challenge a crisis. But if you think about this, Dallas would say, well, it's amazing. Is you can have a great vision, but now... Every day, we're being inundated with choices. Sociologists would say that for many of us, we have 30 plus thousand choices we make every day. And when you have a choice, you get to now make the decision, will this choice that I make help me live more into my vision or will it not? And Dallas would say that there are always three wills at play. Three wills. The first one is this. The impulsive will. And this is where you just do what you want to do. I do what I want to do. You know what? I just, I just said what I wanted to say. They need to hear that. I just, I just was able to mouth off because they needed to have it. They cut me off. They deserve it. They're a Dallas Cowboys fan. They deserve to hear that trash talk. I just do what I want to do. And every time we just say, I do what I want to do, what are we doing? We're dropping the anchor and we're just saying, I'm just going to do what I want to do. The question is, we've all had these moments. It's like, what's really going on there? We're going to talk about that more this week. But like, why did I just be so willing to walk away from my vision, walk away from my anchor just so I could say something? Or go escape in some way. Dallas says that there's, a, there's, another, there's another will, though. And that will is the reflective will. And the reflective will is where we reflect and we ponder on what will truly help me live in Christ. So this decision comes at me, and sweet Sally, who lives on my street, who loves the Nextdoor app, and just saying what she needs to say, and I... It, goes directly to my inbox, so I keep seeing it, and I'm like, I gotta unfollow and unsubscribe. I now go, okay, okay. I now have a choice. Do what I want to do, impulsive will, which would be fun, or to actually reflect and ponder, if I say what I want to say, do what I want to do, is it actually going to help me embody the vision? Is it going to help me actually become a person of peace? Is it going to help me actually be someone who has nothing to prove and nothing to lose and nothing to hide? And see, when you don't have a vision, for many of us, we're just flying blind. 
We're trying to actually believe that we're really going to drift into becoming people of holiness or hope or patience or peace. And this all makes sense to you because you have this when it goes to the gym or for your family or finances. You have a vision and yet you are working towards. Dallas is just like, you got to have this for your spiritual life. But he says what's fascinating is that there's a will that's actually underneath the impulsive and the reflective. He calls it the embodied will. The embodied will. And this is the muscle memory that builds over time due to your actions. A quick show of hands. How many of you, either your parents or your parents' parents, were children of alcoholics? Show of hands. Yeah, many of us, myself included. And you think about this, when you think about the embodied will, was that probably one parent came home and it was like Monday. Go out, whether to the, the garage that had all the six packs, or went to something stronger, or went to wine, and didn't just have one, didn't have two, didn't have three, didn't have four, but just, just did this till they went to sleep. Then Tuesday, came home from work, and they did that. And then Wednesday, came home from work and did that. Dallas would say, this is what embodied will is. They have muscle memory that when the garage door opens or when they park the car and they're walking in, it's like they become almost robotic to head towards the garage and open it. It's like Amazon plays off this all the time with the one-click purchase. It's like, I need this, click. Why did I buy that? It's already at my house. It's amazing. <laughs> they're cra you know, but they're playing off the sense that we don't have the actual self-control. And so this actually creates muscle memory. This is why when we find ourselves feeling in moments of stress and crisis and challenge, we find ourselves returning to certain things. Why? Because we have the muscle memory. But here's the powerful thing. The more that we actually reflect and we think about our choices and go, oh man, is this actually going to help me live into my vision? What we're doing is we're building new muscle memory. And this is where the Spirit begins to sanctify us, to make us more whole and holy and spiritually healthy. This is what the Spirit of God does within us so that after a season of time, we actually walk into a moment of crisis. And for some apparent reason, because we've done our work, we've become people of peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And our friends, I'm telling you, it's possible. You just got to be willing to have that vision and to actually make the decisions that are going to build that embodied will. The word intention is an important one. Next slide. An intention is our personal decision day by day to overcome and become like Christ. So you have this vision and that intention. That's where all the wills are underneath is the intention. But here's the thing. You can have this intentionality. Man, I want to be that. The question is, how? How are you going to become a person of peace? How are you going to become a person of joy? How will you become a person of peace? And Dallas would say, you've got a vision. You've got intention. Now you need means. And means are the specific method and practice to shape, 
inform and help you about your vision. What this really means is having some practices. Having practices. If you want to be a person of peace, what's the practice that's going to help you actually embody peace? If you want to be a person of kindness, not niceness, but actually kindness, then you're probably putting yourselves around people that need to experience kindness. And you're actually probably pushing yourself to actually embody this fruit. And one time there were these college students that came up and they wanted to pepper this scholar. I, said, I love this scholar. And the scholar didn't crush the students and he totally could have because they were just trying to back him into a hole. He totally could have crushed him. And some guys, friends, colleagues pulled the scholar aside and they're like, hey, hey, why didn't you answer those guys' questions? You totally know all those answers. Why didn't you? And he said, because in this season, I'm practicing the art of not having the last word. So I'll walk away, and they might think like they won, and it bugs me because I, I want to win, but for me, what's most important is me embodying my vision. See, friends, every day that we actually put these into practice, the better off that we can become, the more that we can actually start to say, oh, yes. This is how I can grow in love. For some of us, when it comes to joy, maybe there's a practice of gratitude. For some of you who are like, oh man, I just need to wake up this week and I just need to walk around these redwoods. I need to breathe in and recognize that even in the midst of crazy, these redwoods have been able to endure. One of the most holy practices is when you study redwoods. It's unbelievable what they have to teach us about God. And I think about this. For many sincere Christ followers, if I were to ask you, hey, what's your vision? And what's the practices or the means that are helping you get there? Many people are like, I go to church. I read my Bible. I give. But I'm like, no, 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 no. Well, I love going to church. I love church. I'm a pastor. I want you to go to church. I love the Bible. We live under the authority, inspiration. It's like, it, literally, it's heaven's breath. It's what breathes life into our souls. So good. But how are we putting it into practice? So that when we find ourselves around difficult people, or people who are, think differently than us, or people who just trigger us and remind us of someone who wounded us many years ago, how even in that can we be people who are faithful? And this is your work to do. This is what you get to do in God's beautiful creation to have a moment where you just get to sit and go, man, for the next six months, God, give me a vision. Give me a vision. And, and seriously, this is how, how I would write it. A life anchored in Jesus. 
And then I would think about the fruit of the Spirit, a life anchored in Jesus, is one that can embody patience or peace or joy even in moments of crazy and challenge and crisis for God's glory. And then you get to actually decide, well, okay, how am I going to do that then? How am I going to do that? And what's amazing, what's amazing is you get these moments where you get to look back and you get to see, man, I've actually gotten better at this. I told you I love basketball. I played, and, and I loved practice. I loved going to the film room. I loved just being able to watch. And I loved how, like, I just remember as a kid, this was my dream to play college basketball. And as a fifth grader, I remember coming home from UCLA camp, and I had gotten this report, and I read this report, and it was like three, four pages. I was like, man, they, these kids are intense. And I remember reading it, and I just started crying. I remember looking at my dad. I'm like, Dad, if this, if this is true, I'm never going to be able to play. And my dad looked at me, got down on his knee, and said, if you take all of this, you're probably right. But what if we did this? What if we just took it chunk by chunk by chunk? Let's start with your dribbling. We're just going to work on your left hand. And so everywhere I went, fifth, sixth grade, I just started dribbling with my left hand. And then let's work on your passing. And so I grew up in Camarillo, Ventura County, 805, and I remember just standing, and he took me over to this overpass of the, over the 101, four lanes this way, four lanes this way, and my dad would just whisper in my ear, and he'd say, slow lane make and model and color. It was like gray Honda Civic, slow lane, northbound, gray Honda Civic again. That's all everyone drives in California. And like, I just kept doing this. It's like fast lane, white Ford Bronco, not OJ. Like I just like, I just, I just was throwing out names. And my dad was like trying to help me grow in court vision. And I could be able to see, and I could be able to like just watch and slowly but surely, and then I started working on defense, and I was that weird kid in sixth and seventh grade at the park who was just like, big step, big step. And my dad was like, just keep working at this, keep working at this, keep working at this, and little by little. And then it got to my jump shot. He's like, there's not enough time to work on that. You just got to focus in the lane. But what I began to discover is slowly but surely, I could jewel with my hands, both hands, and I could, I could see, and I could pass thumbs down like you're milking a cow, and I hustled, and I could see myself developing, and all of a sudden, there was like this, this thing that was happening inside me. Now, I guarantee you, some of you are listening to this, and you're like, Steve, I like everything about you except for your hair, but this feels... This feels a lot like works to me. Feels a lot like works. Again, I'm just going to go back to 10 words that Dallas said once. And he says this, grace is opposed to earning, but never opposed to effort. I cannot earn grace. 
It was freely given to me. But to get that into every square inch and atom and molecule and decision into every recess of my past and present and future, that's going to require effort on our behalf. And for some of us, we haven't had a vision. We haven't had the intention to actually make decisions. And so often, if we're really, really honest, everywhere we go, we're just bumping into a family reunion. And I'm mad at this person, but really, it's just someone in my family. And it's bringing out the worst in me. And all of a sudden, because we haven't done our work, all of a sudden, we're just drifting. We find ourselves miles and miles away. It's like we've dropped the anchor, and we're just like, I don't know what to say. Por favor, help me. But the gift is when you can have this focus. Oh, yeah. A life anchored in Jesus for me is one that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. And now I got to make choices. I don't have to exaggerate stories. I don't have to try and get people to like me. I don't have to people please. I can live my life attached to this. And then with those phrases, whether it's patience or love or joy, I started going through and just taking scripture that talked about joy and just spending a day reflecting on a word or a verse or a chapter and slowly but surely having a practice and God just begins to do a new work. So once again, let's put it up. You'll see vision intention means maybe this week. And if you see me and I can be at all helpful, I'd love for you to be able to do this because if you can even do this for a few months, you will begin to discover just the sheer power. When I talk about nothing to hide, I, uh, a number of months ago, a, a pastor friend of mine, um, he, he retired a few of us in COVID, we, we wanted to honor him. And so we, we pulled together a little party out in Paso Robles. Um, outside, had a little dinner, went to this park. And I had asked people to share a story. And I remember this moment, 60-some-year-old pastor and 60-some-year-old best friend that I had never met. And different people were speaking words of just profound gratitude for this man. But this one guy, who's a therapist, said, can I just tell you about this man? He called me one day and said, we need to practice confession to one another. And I thought he was crazy, but he, he wasn't done. He said that he'd like to call me at 5.50 a.m., Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and that we should just confess our sins to each other. And then, basically, at the end of the call, just remind each other that we have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. And this therapist was like, I didn't want to do it. But he kept calling and asking. Finally, I said, I'll do it. And then these, this man says, so for the last seven years, we've missed probably six, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Fridays. But we just call and we confess how we were short with our son, or short with our daughter, short with a coworker, short with a spouse. And God has changed me. And I sat back there, and I watched two 60-year-olds 
want Jesus more than me. I'm like, you're waking up at 5.50? That's crazy in itself. Before coffee, calling each other bonkers, and you're actually telling each other your sins? You're crazy. And then I look at the life of this man, and I go, he's not just someone who's escaping to flying fleeting moments of peace. He's become a man of peace. But if I backed it all the way up, it was 5.50 a.m., phone calls, putting this practice into place. It was his means. And I left, and I had a buddy there, and I said, Mike, I think we need to practice this. And again, my vision was nothing to lose, nothing to prove, nothing to hide. And I was like, that's in my vision. I just need to do it. And we started doing this, and for two months, I think we missed four dates. Because I was like, man, I forgot I'm supposed to do this. But it wasn't shame. It was a little, like, course. Go slow. So I want you to look at this list of the fruit of the Spirit one more time. I want you to think of that word that you chose, that you raised your hand. Oh, love, or joy, or peace, or patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if you think about love, man, just think about how so there's so much fear in this world. Man, what there would look like if there was just love oozing or joy. So much sadness and anger or peace. You know what anxiety is? It just turns our peace into pieces. Our patience, just we're so hurried and frantic. But I want you this week, and maybe it's this afternoon, as you're just taking some time and beautiful creation and go, God, help me not drop my anchor because the world needs this more than ever. And I don't think that the crazy is going to slow down. But I do think that the church can rise up and embody more of the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you've actually given us grace but it's your grace that wants to sanctify us, to make us whole and holy and spiritually healthy. And God, I pray that in this week, we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we'd literally put it into practice. And we would excavate our own hearts, look for those places, those spaces. We just need to almost demo so that we can let more of your light and your peace and your love and your spirit and your son in. I pray that you would give us renewed vision in this space. The kind of vision that wakes us up in the morning, the kind of vision that says, I can be like my rabbi Jesus. And I know when we declare that, it's like your spirit's going to help us and guide us and counsel us and advocate for us to live more and more and more and more into who you intended us to be. Let us not be afraid of doing our work, but let us live more and more into what grace truly is. We love you, God, and all God's people said, amen.